the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 149 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend with us. We are on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. I'm at Justin Hughes 365. Andrew is at AMCQ82. <laughs> AMCQ82. And the podcast official Twitter is at Baseball365Pod. All right, the baseball season is long, and we're at the end of the year, and the baseball focus starts to fade out with a lot of people. Season-long leagues are closing this weekend, and football leagues are starting. And the season-long stats have a bigger chunk of data than they did in the early going um, whenever we get to the second half, which means it takes longer to see changes in production if you're just looking at season-long stats. And on this episode, we have a special guest as Andrew is off the grid for the week, and we have our good friend Lucas Berry joining, and he and I are going to highlight players I have noticed have had a change in production in the second half. And I think Lucas has got, got a few names he's going to be adding too. So are these players, like, is it a streak or is it something we can take into consideration for drafts for next year? We're going to talk all about that. So let me get Lucas on. Um, Lucas is the, Beery is the owner of DC Dynasty, and the guy's about to wrap up his first Dynasty Championship in the Rotomasters 2 League, which is the fourth different champion in the last four years. He's got an eight-point league lead, and I guess I should just start right off with that. Lucas, is are you comfortable with me saying that with two days left at this point? Because I think you got it in the bag at this point. Well... I wouldn't. I wouldn't quite announce it like that, but you know, <laughs> that's fair. I mean, you know, I. Uh, it's not done until the fat lady sings, you know. But uh, it looks okay for now, so we'll just have to wait and see. How long have you had sole possession of first? Now, I mean, it feels like it. We're coming up on like three or four weeks. Is that about right? Uh, that sounds shorter? about right to me. Yeah. Yeah, you possibly. Got, you guys have, you know, it, it was an like amazing run in the second half of the year where. Like, our one one guy was leading most of the year, and but there was a tight race of people in like second through sixth or seventh place, and it just kept flipping all the time. And then you guys ended up coming up over the top and taking the lead. And I mean, it went back and forth a little bit there for a bit, but you guys haven't looked back. I mean, it's been a good, strong second half for you guys. Yeah, I was telling Lou today that uh, if you were to kind of take a quick look at our roster, it doesn't look like a usual championship team, but we've been able to get hot streaks from from various players that you might not expect, like a Mitch Garver or a Mark Canha or, or Willie Castro, and combined with solid performance and really strong pitching, it's kind of come together this year. And Cole Reagans. I was looking yep. at your roster last night, and I was like, oh, and I – what surprised me is specifically, I was like, how much did he go for? I know I placed a bid for him that weekend. He was available in fab when you guys got him. But I was like, they must have spent like 150, 200. I, I don't remember exactly. And then I clicked on it. Do you remember what your winning price was for him? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that um, because I thought that we had spent that much on him too. And I was just kind of <laughs> reviewing the team and we had scooped him up for $15. So. Yeah. In a one thousand dollar budget for to make it clear for you guys, a thousand dollar budget, and they got him for fifteen dollars. That is the pickup of the year, right there. 
I would I would imagine. I, I maybe there's somebody else that could be a debatable, but right off the bat, I can't think of anybody who was a better buy off the waiver wire this year. Thank you. So, so anyways, yeah. uh, tell us about DC Dynasty. Um, you started it up in January. Just tell the people about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I've been writing articles for various websites for a handful of years now, and I uh, got a chance to work for Lenny Melnick starting out uh, with Lou Landers, uh, one of my good friends in the industry. And uh, then I got a chance to write a few years for Casey Bubba. He's a great guy, and um, that, was a, that was a good time. Um, then I wrote a little bit for Dr. Roto. Um, he, he's kind of another guy that's been in the industry for many years and is a, is a great person. And I just kind of thought to myself, you know, it's it's cool that I'm writing for people, but I might as well kind of write for myself and, and take more full ownership. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much what I did and started up my own website. It's focused um, on draft champions and deep leagues um, and it has some dynasty content on there as well. But uh, this year I've just focused on putting out a fab article every Sunday um, and then come winter time, I'll be adding more and more different articles to it. That's awesome. Um, do you know, like, it, are, are they going to be more draft related than this uh, during the off season for like draft and holds and redraft leagues? Um, yeah. So um, in the off season, I have position tiers for all the different positions. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also did a top 125 starting pitchers. And the biggest article I did, Justin, was a deep starters article of post 250 starters to target. That got by far the most uh, engagement. But I did uh, other articles on auction league um, targets, you know, dynasty primer and draft champions. So there's just a lot of different everything on there. But yeah, I'll be adding to it this offseason. I'm glad different you, areas. I'm glad you brought up auction because our good buddy Andrew, the other who's off the grid this week, um, he told me that you have an auction league that you are doing very well in. And I'd love to hear you talk about this. Yeah, so um, I did two auction leagues this year on NFBC and I'm having a pretty good year. I'm in in first place in both of them. Um, And in one of the leagues, I'm actually in first overall. Um, so that's, that's pretty amazing. And I never expected that to be the case, but, um, out of that, uh, format, there's 840 teams in the league and, uh, being first overall, that grand prize would be $10,000. So, um, I have about a 140 point lead on the next guy and, you know, it's not safe till, uh, the games are all over on Sunday, but, uh, I'm feeling okay about it right now. That's amazing, Lucas. I am so happy for you, and uh, you know I haven't talked to you about this. Andrew and I have talked about it. It's like we might need to get him on to talk about that league and that team at some point because I think <laughs> that could be really interesting to talk about. And you know, come early next year, I'll be having the auction podcast that I did. We did last year. I think you were on that with um, Chris Winder last year, if I recall mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, uh, maybe two years ago. Uh, Yes, correct. Two years ago. Um, and definitely want to might be looking into trying to do that again, too. And love to have you on for stuff like that, because you're apparently the auction guru. If you're winning <laughs> two leagues and about to take down an overall or it's uh, to. it's funny because I've had a lot of people asking me, you know, are you nervous about that? Does that one, you know, worry you? And I'm thinking I'm worried about my other leagues that aren't doing as well. This one just kind of sets itself, you know, with a Garrett Cole, Freddie Peralta, Tarek Skubal, Cole Reagan's in there. I mean, it's just kind of, 
you know, it does its work its own self. But now that it's gotten towards the end of the stretch and, and the guy who's in second has had a few good days, that's kind of what worries me. But yeah, it's been uh, like things have just clicked and it's just kind of everything happened in a, in a positive way all at the same time. You know, I had decided I was going to do an NFBC draft this offseason for the first time, and I didn't know they did auctions. And that might be the route I go, just because I love the auction format so much. And if, I if, highly recommend it. If yeah. any of you guys have not done an auction league, there there's nothing better. A slow auction, specifically, mm-hmm. is my take. But, yeah, they're fantastic. Okay, well, let's get into talking about what we're here to talk about, and that is second-half swing hitters. And I've got some guys that either maybe the season stat line shades how like some of them it shades how good they've been in the second half and some they've been how bad they've been in the second half. But I just got some names here that when I was looking at second half lines that's jumped out to me for us to talk about. And the first one I popped on was Sean Murphy, who I do remember he was just absolutely having a great seat like season. When I looked earlier in the summer, I have no shares, so I really hadn't paid close attention to him mm-hmm. and his season stat line this year is um, his triple slash is 262, 372 and a 493 with 20 home runs. But on July 11th, that's the all-star break. I tried to make most of these pre and post all-star break. He had, at the all-star break, he had 232 at bats with a 306, 400, 599 triple slash that 167 WRC plus with 17 home runs. And since then, um, this is as of about, I think I made these notes on Thursday. Uh, he has had 136 at bats since and a triple slash of 162, 305, so he's still walking and getting on base, but a 279 slug. So that's what makes his triple slash with a 68 WRC plus and four four home runs. And he's been splitting a lot of time with Travis Darnot. He's just, Travis Darnot, he's been that bad. So, Lucas, when I, re- like, when I put that in the notes, um, like I don't know were you aware that he had been this bad and if so what's your level of concern yeah actually I have been a little bit aware of it um I have two shares of him and and one actually is in a 12 team league where it's two catchers but you know there was choices out there Mm -hmm. I streamed in uh Elias Diaz at Coors Field Mm -hmm. um and and then I repicked Sean Murphy back up because you know 24 catchers are started and, and guys have injuries so he'll at least be in a decent lineup position and in a good lineup. And, you know, looking at Sean Murphy deeply, he had 46 starts from March 30th until June 30th. And, you know, on June 17th, he had a lot of issues with his hamstring. And I think that uh, this team has world series aspirations. So they're really just managing his workload. Okay. He's had, he's had durability issues in the past, including in his minor league career and some in Oakland and Travis Darno is one of the better backups in the major league. So I think they're just trying to keep him fresh in the first half, uh, Murphy had a 18% barrel rate, 48% hard hit rate. And that's dropped down in the second half, but not to a disastrous level. It's still a 13.3% barrel rate and a 40% hard hit rate. Um, so I'm not too worried about him, but I do think durability issues are, are rearing their head with Murphy. So hearing that, I would think that with him getting a off season to rest, rehab, get that hammy right, get you know off season. I think you would probably say, yeah, I expect a nice rebound. Like, more, would you think that? Well, the first half was in a, probably the very high end of what he can do, but you still think he's going to be a pretty valuable player next year? 
I think so. I mean, it's hard to find a guy with a, a decent average that's going to provide a plus impact in the home runs and plays most more often than not. Um, and as part of a, an elite lineup, he's still at a prime age of 28, 29. So there was no crazy red flags that I saw, but it, it does prove that, you know, he does have some durability concerns. His ADP this year was 112. I went and looked that up just now. Um, and that was kind of in the mix of a like a handful of catchers like William Contreras, him, Tyler Stevenson. They were all kind of lumped in together within 10 picks of each other. Do you think that's probably his range this next year? Because, I mean, the, the season-long stats still look pretty good there. We're guessing. Yeah, I think we're guessing. I think that, I think that's within reason. Um, it's really going to kind of depend, I guess, on some of these young catchers in our him or him game. That I think that if those guys are looked at favorably, it could kind of push everyone down slightly because people think, you know, there's options. I don't need to, you know, spend spend too high of a pick because if people think they can get something uh, better for later, everyone might collectively be cheaper if there's more choices. You know, I've always like over the I should say very frequently when I've done two catcher draft and hold leagues, I've almost always waited on catcher. I just, it's never been my thing to get in early on, even though there are definitely some perks to having some of these guys, but yeah, let's play a him or him game. So start working down this list and seeing where Murphy lines up for you. Uh, first top of the top of the name is Adley Rutschman. I'm assuming it's Adley, correct? That is correct. Okay, let's see how far down we go before it's like, okay, this is right around Murphy's area. JT Real Muto, who had a pretty good se- good season again. Real Muto. Hard to find those steals. Uh, Will Smith? Will Smith. What about William Contreras? Pretty much going right there with him last year. I would say that's a push. Okay. Salvador Perez? No, I would rather have Murphy. Okay. So, yeah, it does seem like at least range-wise, if catchers, like you were saying, if they get moved up or down, that could change things. But, yeah, you're thinking very similar to where they were this last year in terms of ranking. Okay, um, let's move on to Bryce Harper. That's my next name. Uh, From his debut on May 2nd, you know, he had the Tommy John surgery last, I think it was November. Um, And from May 2nd to the All-Star break, he had 246 plate appearances and he had a 290, 386, 400 triple slash. So his, again, his on-base and slugging were very close. A 400 slug and a 115 WRC+. plus. In those 246 plate appearances, that's just a little over half a season. He had three home runs and five steals. The power was non-existent. As somebody who had Harper in a daily league, it, it was it was not, you weren't getting the power production. But since the All-Star break, he's done incredibly well. 294 plate appearances. His triple slash is 300, 415, 593 with a 167 WRC+, 18 home runs and six steals. I feel like in the last year or two before this year, Harper was typically like an early second round pick. And when Andrew and I, when we picked back up the podcast, the first episode we did was our mock draft for um, 2024. We were doing one extremely early. And I think I was had him a little lower than that at that time. But I think I might be back into thinking I might be in on him at the early to mid second round, especially because he'll be a first base eligible and I believe with Reese Hoskins coming back, I think they still have him under contract. I think Harper's back in that outfield next year. And if so, that's a first base out, outfield eligible too. Would 
Do you agree that that might be where he'll be going this offseason? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, when you have an elite Hall of Fame player who's one of the better hitters in the game, he's not going to slip too far down the draft board, even if his year was a little disappointing this year, especially since he's a five-category contributor. Um, the one thing that I'm not the biggest fan of is that he's going to be first base only, mm-hmm. but I guess it's possible he could add outfield in time. We'll just have to wait and see what their um, plans are for him. But, you know, kind of like you alluded to in that first half, he had a, a 12% barrel rate and a 42% hard hit rate, which most players would be happy with, but he had a 40, he had a 42% ground ball rate. Um, so that was a little, that was a little high. Um, and then in the second half, 18% barrel rate, 52% hard hit. So he just kind of turned it on. And a player with this long a track record, I have no concerns with. So I have two Harper questions for you. One of them I've got written down here. The other one I did not write down. Uh, I'm going to go with the first one that I did not write down. Um, you know, I've heard that Tommy John, when hitters that have Tommy John surgery, the power can be a little slow to develop. Do you think you personally, with Shohei Otani looking like he's had... Did, wait a minute, he didn't have Tommy John, did he? Uh, it was not clear what surgery he had. I think the agent's withholding what it was. Let's just say we're told that it's Tommy John. Do you think you'll have any pause drafting him as a DH only, knowing, like, seeing what happened with Harper this year? Or is it like, ah, different guy, maybe it's a different case? Uh, yeah, I think it's a very different case because... If you look at Bryce Harper, um, he was going much, much, much later. Yes. And he was rehabbing to become a DH and a first base option eventually. He wasn't rehabbing to become a pitcher, which is extremely different. Um, and on top of that, I'm already hearing people say that, you know, they might take Otani in the first, second, or third round, which Bryce Harper was going around pick 140 to yes. 250 in some drafts. So for me, I'm completely out on Otani in the first you know, four or five even rounds because availability is one of the best abilities and who knows when he'll be ready. It's a gamble. I'm not willing to take. I'm with you. And I agree that I do think he'll go earlier. Like you just said in the first few rounds, I think he'll be back earlier than um, Harper because he had the surgery almost two months sooner and Harper was back in May. You know, Mm. Otani may not be ready at the start of the season. I kind of, I bet he will, but I don't, I don't know. But on the same note, I just there's still a lot of that risk because you don't know if he'll be back. You don't know if the power immediately is there. And you know, I owned Otani. I took you know I had a startup dynasty draft in 2019, and that was the year where he had had Tommy John the year before, and that was his worst year as an offensive hitter. It, it, he wasn't terrible by any means, but he just wasn't what he was in the following years and you know before the year before. So, um, yeah. my. I just feel like if you're if you're paying for him in the second, third, or even really fourth round, you're you're not expecting much time to be missed. And let's say he does come into spring training and he's able to take some hacks and looks pretty good. I mean, you can take him in a league that drafts during spring training. So to me, in in the dead of winter when we have no idea what's going to happen, I just I don't want to walk into that risk because injuries will find me otherwise. I think I'm with you there. So let's circle back to Harper. You know. I originally put this question for Andrew thinking it was going to be him and I recording this and you have, you and I have not talked about LA De La Cruz, but I asked, I was going to ask Andrew who he'd rather have in 2024, Bryce Harper or Ellie. And let me just ask you that question. Yeah, for me, it's Bryce Harper, just a much more proven player. Um, 
you know, based on the the sine wave of hot and cold streaks, I think Harper's going to be able to to maintain a higher level of play. And in your first second round, you're you're really just looking to to get you know twenty five thirty plus dollars of value. You you don't need to hit a home run there. I'm with you. I think I'm with you to where Ellie's got the upside to be absolutely incredible. But um, I think I'd rather go with the safe route. And Andrew, if you're listening, I want to ask you that question when you get back. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious to hear your answer. He might. I, I really wouldn't be surprised either way, whichever way he answers that. Yeah, it's true. Okay, next guy, we got Matt Chapman, who 129 games played this year, his triple slash on the season is 246, 335, 429 with 15 home runs and three steals. At the All-Star break, he was hitting a little higher in the batting average department, 259, 344, 463 with 12 home runs and 369 plate appearances. Since the All-Star break, 199 plate appearances, 202, 307, 329 triple slash. Only three home runs and a WRC plus of 82. Three home runs in basically, you know, not a half season, but at least a third of a season, more like probably 40% of a season. He had an ADP of 153 this year. Uh, Do you think Chapman could slip out of the top 200? Yeah, when you first sent me this question, I thought to myself, um, probably not. But once I started looking into him even more, I thought it's possible. Um, I will say that since this since you had come up with your notes, he's hit two home runs in the interim, oh, one okay. tonight, one tonight, and uh, he hit another one in between the, the notes. Um, so, yeah, he does have 17 home runs. Not that that makes a huge difference, but, uh, yeah, just kind of looking at Matt Chapman, I have him in a handful of leagues because he was kind of a target for me, and his April was outstanding mm-hmm. um, where he had an OPS over 1,100, Um 20 extra base hits in 26 games in April, but from May until now, he has a 653 ops. So obviously he's basically been a disaster to start. And I started him for quite a while of the season until I realized this. Uh, I kind of realized it in, in, in August at a certain point, but in those 15 team leagues, if he's playing full time, that's probably better than using a guy who's a platoon off the waiver wire, you know? Um, but, but looking into him, you know, he does have the elite barrel rate of a 17 percent barrel rate but um there was an article that was written by ben clemens and it does highlight something very interesting um so all all of his balls that are hit between 95 miles an hour to 105 miles an hour he's only pulling 15 percent of those so really yeah he has 55 percent of his balls in that range hit to straightaway center so it's just going to be really hard to you know convert those into home runs so a spray angle is certainly something to consider when you're looking at barrel rate that really stinks because, you know, in Toronto, they have that beautiful left field porch for right-handed pole mm-hmm. to where. Yes. It, has it been that way? And you like, is that really, is that a big change from previous years? Do you know if that's the case? Because, yeah, that that does that does sound alarming. Yeah. I mean, his pole rates down about 10 percent from prior years. So, yeah. Hmm maybe that's something he can find an adjustment with this off season, but you know, he is on the other side of 30 and you just never know if when people, when slipping starts happening. So let's do a him or him game with uh, Matt Chapman. I got a few names here and first one is Byron Buxton 2.0. And then when I say that, I mean, Royce Lewis. 
Yeah, I, I think Royce Lewis is going to be extremely expensive next year, um, and I would take him over over Matt Chapman, but uh, based on his injuries, I probably won't be taking him in the you know fifth, sixth round or wherever he settles in. You be I completely agree with all that. Yes, I think he'll go a lot higher. He's getting helium. Guy hits a grand slam what every other night right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems like it. Um, and then Spencer Steer. Steer. Yeah, and that's been one of your guys. I know you guys have, I think you have him on your Dynasty League still, don't you, in RM2? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we do. What a year he's had. I Andrew and I talked about him recently, and I was very impressed with what I looked into. What about Nolan Gorman? I'll take Gorman. I think I agree with you. I mean, I think, you, you know, Gorman at this point, I think I believe has the higher upside in the power and mm-hmm. batting average and all that. You know, batting average is fluky, but... I really could see about similar in that in that. So yeah, I agree. What about Isaac Paredes? Uh Paredes. Wow, we're moving down here. And finally uh, different players, but Michael Garcia. Actually he's losing third base eligibility. I think I just read somebody say that. Uh no, he still has it. He didn't get a uh, shortstop. Oh shortstop. But he still oh, okay. has third My base. bad. Had that backwards. Yeah. Um you know, I initially when I was coming up with my notes, I had actually put that it was build dependent. But the more I looked at it, I would take Garcia. He only has four home runs in 120 games, but um, he has over a 50 percent hard hit rate and, and a max exit velocity of 110. Garcia? Um, yeah. So he, he's kind of a launch angle away from being a 1530 guy. You know, that's a guy I was in on and wanted to get shares of in my dynasty um, draft and holds or um, sub drafts. I'm really annoyed that I did not get him in either one. Mm. That's one of those names. Yeah. I'm like, man, I even had the gut feeling. I There were a few of those guys that I'm like, I have the gut feeling on. One of them was another guy you took in terms of Ethan Salas, where I just like, I think I like him more than where he's going. And then I didn't didn't trust my gut. Okay, so there we go. Matt Chapman working his way down list. He's at the very bottom of all my guys in the him or him game. So I guess both of us are saying, I, not looking like we might have any shares of him here. Yeah, it's just kind of becoming a very ordinary profile with, with the lack of 30-plus home runs. And, you know, that's not a guy you, you, you kind of look for in the, in the top one in the top 200, kind of like we alluded to. So it's just kind of a, a mediocre, more or more boring profile now. So speaking of boring, mediocre profiles, our next guy is Luis Rangifo. (laughs) (laughs) Season stat line of 394 at-bats, 16 home runs, a triple slash of 264, 339, 444. You know, solid, nothing too spectacular. Um, At the All-Star break, he had 247 plate appearances, and his line was 219, 312, 326 slug. Another one of those really terrible slugs. With a 78 WRC plus, five home runs, five steals, and in the second half of this year, he's been very good. And this is one of those like this is the type of guy I really enjoy talking about because this is completely under the radar unless you really dig in and look. 198 plate appearances, he's at 318, 374, 587 on his triple <laughs> slash with a 158 WRC plus, 11 home runs and one steal. You know. Ringifo's season ended early about two weeks ago when he had surgery to repair his biceps tendon, but you wouldn't think that would have, uh, affect his outlook for next year. This is not an incredibly exciting guy, as I was saying at the get-go here, but 
looking him up, he's going to have second base, shortstop, third base, and outfield eligibility. And that kind that sounds very interesting to me, especially in draft and hold leagues. I'm specifically more meaning that than redrafts, but I think I'm going to be interested in trying to get this guy if his price isn't too high, and I can't imagine it would be. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, we actually were able to kind of ride the wave with him in our in our Rotomasters leagues. So that was pretty nice, and just like looking into him, he went from a guy with an and I'm not the biggest fan of average exit velocity by any means, but if I see a sizable jump there, I will pay a little attention. He went from a guy who was an 86 average EV to an 87 last year, and this year he's up to 89. So just seeing that sizable jump year after year is pretty decent, and he makes quite a bit of contact being a, a somewhat lower K-rate guy. And, and and basically, like you said, he's a Swiss Army knife. You can plug him into your utility spot and then bounce him around whenever you get different injuries. Um, and, and lastly, I know Los Angeles Angels are going to be a, a dumpster fire, as you and Andrew have talked about, but they're going to have loads and loads and loads of playing time for guys like Renhifo, Taylor Ward, um, Logan O'Hoppy. So, you know, it'll be all you can eat plate appearances for those guys and, and Zach Neto as well at the top of the lineup. Yeah. These, the playing time should be right there for him with everybody going to be gone next year. Did you see, my, um, you talked about me and Andrew talking about the dumpster fire that the angels are. Did you, did you by any chance see what I shared earlier today? Uh, I saw a tweet that the Rockies lost their hundredth game today. And th- that means they're the second, they're the second to last team in the major leagues to lose a hundred games in a season. And the angels are the only team left that has not lost a hundred games in a season. Really? I had no idea. The Los Angeles Angels, who I've been just trashing for how they've run well, having the last 10 years, they're the only team that's never lost 100. Even the Yankees, um, I, I don't remember who it was in the chat, looked it up and saw that they did in like 1903 and 1912. Every team in baseball has lost 100 games except the Angels. Wow. <laughs> Wild. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to point out just as a real life example, um, Justin here with, with kind of having that positional eligibility. Um, so in one of my DCs, a uh, really strong player, Shelly Verstraight, she's behind me. And I was just kind of looking at her roster to see mm-hmm. who I should be concerned about because she's only like three and a half points behind me. So she's loaded on her infield, just loaded to the gills. I mean, she has just good players up and down her lineup in the infield. And on her bench, she even has Jeremy Pena, uh, you know, in a DC that's acceptable, you know, Moncada, Jonathan Ronda, but she has no healthy outfielders. She, she has Alec Burleson who's on the injured list on her outfield. So if she was able to get a first base outfield or a, or a second base outfield, like a Whit Merrifield, um, she could have active bodies in there. So that's why I love these, these Swiss army knives. Cause mm-hmm. I can just have more choices. I have told Andrew that I've not made that enough of a priority in draft and hold leagues in the past, and I'm going to make it more of one this offseason. I'm definitely looking more into that and making a higher priority in that as compared to the guy that maybe has a little more juice. I think that just having those Swiss Army knives, it's so handy, especially when you just need so much pitching, that having those guys just huge. It allows you to take more arms. It's one of those things where, it shows you that the roster construction can almost be more important than, than player evaluation at times. I mean, obviously both are important, but that roster construction, like you said, is so big. All right. So let's move on to the next guy. And that is Christian Yelich. Uh, Yelich looked like he was having a career ju- um, ju- rejuvenation in the first half. 
At the All-Star break, he had 376 plate appearances, a triple slash of 281, 375, 446, 11 home runs, 21 steals, WRC plus of 124. All great. I mean, that's not like that. He was a top player in fantasy in the first half. And since then, he hasn't been terrible, but he's just been what I would say more like he's been the last few years. 265, 348, 442 triple slash with eight home runs and six steals and a 101 WRC plus. So a month ago when Andrew and I were doing the guess the ADP for 2024, I think I predicted his ADP would jump all the way up to like, I think I picked 42. And at that time, Steamer had him finishing with like 22 home runs and 31 steals. If you took what he had done so far, plus what their projections were the rest of the year. And as of when I made these notes yesterday, he was at 19 and 27. So it isn't far off, but he has lost some steam. Um, you know, no pun intended from the steamer. Um, but now looking into him, I did read that he's been dealing with a lingering back issue the last few months. And I know he's had back issues the last few years. Uh, it kind of was one of those things people were talking about whenever he started slipping a few years ago. And for me, it's hard to know if that's an end-of-season thing that will get better with rest or if he can return to first half form next year or not. Um, if his ADP is the third round, I might be a little scared to take him there. Track record the last few years um, wasn't what he had showed in the first half of this year. And in the second half, it's been more like the yellowish that's uh, you know become the new norm the last few years. So I say all that. Where are you at with Lucas? Do you, or with Yelich, Lucas, do you think you could be in on him? It's possible. Uh, he was a guy that I loved coming into this year and was able to get quite a handful of shares. I mean, he he almost surpassed 100 runs scored, which only six guys did that last year. So that alone right there is just pure value I for love where he was category. going. I think that is one of the most underrated categories that people don't pay enough attention to, run scored. Absolutely, especially with last year being a lower run scoring environment. The fact that he was able to do that then um, just kind of, just kind of speaks for itself. So, um, and he almost stole 20 bags last year. So you knew that pot potentially could have gone up and his plate discipline is literally exactly as it was the previous year, except a little bit better. Um, his ISO in 2022 was poor, but this year it's been decent enough and he's going to be hitting third in their lineup. He's going to get every single day plate appearances. Um, he had back injuries and IL stints for back injuries in 2019, 2021, 2022, and in 2023. So it's becoming a point a little bit like a Kershaw where you have to bake in probably like 120, 130 games. And he's kind of at that George Springer era of his career where he's he's one of the better guys on a per plate appearance basis. But, you know, you need you need to bake in some, some serious risk. So I see him dropping into that mid to late fifth round for me. And I might take him. It just kind of depends on who else is there and how I've built up my team. Yeah, 19 home runs, 27 steals. I'm very curious to know where this guy's ADP is next yeah. year. I, I think I could I could see it going either way. If he's a fifth, sixth rounder, I think I could see myself getting in on him, just like you just said, baking in that probably isn't playing a full season. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm with you. I don't, I don't think I'm as concerned about, like, I, I'm not going to try drafting him hoping to get, like, what I saw in the first half. But, you know. Still a good player. 
Yep. Yeah, I wish they could use him at DH a little bit more, but they've they reserved that spot for other players, William Contreras, and and they like to rotate that DH. So if he could play that, that that would make me feel better. But uh, it doesn't look like, that, like that'll be the case. Yeah, and they got they got Jackson Churio coming next year, and that's just <clears> one <throat> other guy to go into that outfield to fit yes. in, in there. Okay, uh, let's move on to the last hitter I've got written down, and that is Jorge Soler. That guy has one like been huge for Andrew this year um, for where he got him for compared to the production that he got at that price. His season line is 128 games, 473 at-bats, triple slash, 241, 330, 516 with 36 home runs. And before the All-Star break, he was hitting 254, 350, 527. That's the triple slash with 23 home runs and uh, 133 WRC+. Plus. Since then, 197 plate appearances, 234, 310, 486 with a 110 WRC plus and 13 home runs. So, as I said, this guy was a steal for anyone that took him. His ADP this last year was 284. So that's great value for what you the production you got. I think we predicted he'd be in like the 175 to 225 range, maybe when Andrew and I were talking about guessing the ADP. With the second half slipping some, do you think he'll fade any further? And, um, you know, you mentioned, or uh, like, where are you at with Soler? Yeah, so he was he was definitely a big target for me this year because the uh, power that he has will will basically play in any home venue he's in. This is a player that hit 48 home runs in Kansas City, and really the only thing that's going to get in his way is injury risk. Um. So I think that, yeah, I, th- I actually like your guys' range a lot where he's in that 175 to maybe 250 range. Um, he's he's a 250 ISO. He's a 500 slug guy when he's healthy, and there is certainly a little bit of risk there, but that's at a range in the draft where everyone has a risk. So I think his, his performance is pretty safe. So, you know, his price might be a good five rounds higher than it was last year. Do you think he'd be in on that? Yeah, I think so because he's just – such a good power hitter, um, you know, maybe in a DC where, where you need the, the plate appearances to contend. It's a little bit trickier, but uh, I, I'm a fan of Jorge Soler. So yeah, I'll probably draft him. Yeah. I think Andrew will be. And I agree. I, this, this wasn't one of those, like, you know, I'm not, I'm just trying to find big swings, but I mean, on the same note, I still agree with you too. All right. I think you said you have some hitters you wanted to highlight here that um, who hits, like have had swings on the second half who fits this bill for you for guys you found yeah so i think i think one of the most obvious guys just to kind of get him out of the way is tristan casas yeah that's Um, a good one yeah he's he's a player that i hate to hear when people say they dropped him because because if you've been playing dynasty you know this is not a player you should be dropping in all likelihood um but he's just had such a ridiculous second half it's it's really it's really stung the people that that uh that cut bait um, looking here from June 1st until Ooh. now he has a 953 OPS and 299 397 556 with 18 home runs uh, 15 doubles and 88 games so he, he's pretty much established himself as one of the better power hitters in the American League and we'll see if he can continue that but it, all signs look to be pointing up with Casas to maybe be a top you know six top eight first baseman next year that's a really good one. I'm going to try to pull up a text right now because a friend of mine had texted me 
and he had gotten a trade offer in a dynasty league for Casas earlier the, a couple months ago. Oh, man. Here it is. He was offered Meade, Soderstrom, and Sterling Thompson for Casas for, and the thoughts. And this is a shallower dynasty. It's not quite like, a, I don't think it's as deep as a 15-teamer. And yeah, I told him immediately, I'm like, hold Casas. This was on August 22nd, so I guess at that point, Casas was, Casas, how do you say it, Casas, Casas? I don't even know. Uh, Casas. Casas, yeah. He he had he, had, he was already in the middle of that streak in the second half, and I told him, I was like, yeah, I'd hold case Casas just with the second half he's had. That just kind of triggered that memory. when I didn't. I knew he had done better the second half. I didn't really realize just how good he's been until right now. As I'm looking yeah, at there's... There's multiple month periods. If you if you cherry pick it, you can find a thousand OPS. So he's been basically like ten team relevant in the second half. Okay. Um, I've got a few more quick ones if you want to go over them. Yeah, let's hear them. Uh, Chaz McCormick is another big name. Oh yeah. Um, from May 28th until now, he has a 909 OPS, 20 home runs, 15 steals. Um, pretty much forcing Dusty Baker's hand to, to use him in the lineup every day, which has been a point of contention, but. <laughs> <laughs> He's another guy that's skyrocketed basically uh, up the leaderboards for Raswell Player Raider. Yeah, that one we I think we talked about him on Guess the ADP also. I'm trying to pull it up and see where I had him. This was as of um a, right about a month ago. And we also did cases Acostas that day. I picked ADP for Costas at 125. I'm trying to scroll and see if I can get to the notes. There he is. I had McCormick as a top 100 player when I looked at it. I don't. I, Andrew was a little shocked by that. I remember him being like, "Wow, he was pretty yeah. significantly different." But man, he's mm-hmm. blown up this year. He has. His numbers are, are pretty sparkling. But since he's not a brand name player, I'm curious how the uh, market will treat him. If they read him less, I I could see myself being in on him. I. I, the the comp I made and why I put him as a top hundred player is I thought of where Tyler O'Neill went after that breakout mm-hmm. year. That was kind of the comp I put in terms of a not type type of player, but just the type of breakout stats breakout and where I think they could be going the next year. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes some sense. Um, I've got two more quick ones if you want to work through those. Yep. Um, so JP Crawford is another guy who's, who's had a career year and he's been getting better basically every year for the past four years or so. Uh, and he went to driveline this winter and, and that really helped him elevate his, uh, power. Um, really over the last 35 games, he has a 883 OPS been moved into that leadoff spots in the second half and has been huge in 15 teamers and, and been more than more than solid in 12 teamers as well. So he's another player that when you see his end of the season line, it's going to look okay. But I think that he can repeat that since he's added more strength as his career's gone on and he was a smaller guy. So I think that that, you know, that strength is new and going to drive line. I think he's going to be a nice, like 15 team middle infielder that you can get really cheap. Uh, that's very interesting, and yeah, I'm looking at his second half stats now. I had no idea. That's a very good one to keep him keep in mind for this off season. I definitely am gonna plug that into my memory. Uh, and then Xander Bogarts is is my other call. Um, he's he's made uh, made the most out of the second half. Um, if you look back till about mid August, around August 19th, he has a 988 OPS from that point on. Uh, 34 games, he has. Seven home runs, eleven doubles, two triples, six stolen bases, and a f- three forty 
343 average, 383 OBP, and a 606 slug. So his end of the year line is going to look pretty decent. And he's a guy where the reputation is that he disappointed, but he could be looking at his first ever 2020 season with nearly a 290 batting average. Yeah, I'd say that people are going to look at that and they're going to remember, like, they're going to, I, I bet people will remember that just because of the, like what you said, the end of season stat line looking well enough. I bet that'll keep his ADP up there. But that, yeah, that's so. interesting. Good for him. Because, yeah, yep. he's been a good hitter for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, that all of them? Uh, yeah, and I have two pitchers if you wanted to do those yeah, as well. Yeah, we're, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to talk about and we're going to talk about pitchers. I've got a couple pitchers. You've got some. We'll go through those. We'll be right back. All right. All right, we're back. We definitely spent a lot of time on hitters. We probably won't go near as long on pitchers, but I've got a couple that I I was going to highlight. Lucas, you've got a couple too. And we're going to start with the good in the second half. And I don't know if you can start the good with the second half more than this guy, who that is Grayson Rodriguez, who in the first half, uh, 45 innings pitched, 7.35 ERA, 55 strikeouts, 21 walks, got option back down to the minors it was not not it just wasn't pretty having uh, having shares of him I was following him and it just wasn't good and in the second half he's been a completely different pitcher 76 innings 2.58 ERA 73 strikeouts 21 walks and you know again I the thing I was hearing about him it, the big key to him whenever he was struggling in the first half was he was not able to keep his like locate his off speed pitches and keep them down and you know I was watching that first start back off when he came back off from the minors on July 17th at home versus the Dodgers tough matchup five innings he had seven hits two walks four runs four Ks so it was more in line of what we were seeing before because and like I said on paper that didn't look good but it was a tough opponent and he dominated if you anybody who watched that they, they saw him dominate those first few innings and it fell apart a little later and I remember telling Andrew on the podcast that weekend that if he goes out and pitches well the following week against the Rays, I'm in. I had seen him locating better in that game versus the Dodgers, and he was awesome the rest of the way afterwards and hasn't allowed more than three runs in any of his following 12 starts after that game against the Dodgers. So Grayson has thrown 163 innings this year, uh, which surprised me given his career high was 102 two years ago. And I'm assuming he'll be pitching in the playoffs, so that number's just going to keep going up. Where do you think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be at ADP-wise? Do you think you could be in on him? That's a good question on whether I'm going to be in on him or not. But my first guess as far as his ADP, and you know, it could be dead wrong, but I was thinking maybe like pick 90 to 110, kind of where Shane McClanahan went after his breakout year. Yeah. I was thinking 75 to 90, so we're, we're we're in pretty close range there. Yeah, and, and looking at him, he's obviously had a, a kind of a tale of two halves. And in the first half, he used a cutter a lot, a 12% cutter, and it allowed an 832 slugging percentage against. So obviously uh, dropping that in the second half was pretty key in his, in his uh, 
move forward and his fastball velocity also jumped up from 96.7 to 97.9 in the second half mitigated the hard hit rate from 52% down to 37%. His K minus BB from the first half and the second half was actually identical at 17%. And his zone contact rate, as far as how well he dominates in the zone was 85% in both the first and second half. So it's not like every statistic just like move forward. So that's uh, somewhat of a concern for me, but this guy is going to be on a, you know, an elite team with Baltimore. So he's going to rack up the wins in a home ballpark and, I'll probably have a few shares where I can here and there. So where did you say you were thinking Shane McClanahan's ADP was this last offseason? This was after Shane McClanahan's rookie season. Oh, okay. That was was more the comparison, yeah. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. Is that right that he was going that? Okay, no. Uh, With me being off the grid last year, uh, that's a little bit of a blur. I'm like, wait, he was going sooner than that this last (laughs) offseason. So, yeah, I I think I'm with you. I've... He's one of those guys, he, you know, his strike, he has struck out a few, like, he has not been as dominant on the strikeouts, a little, a hair less than a strikeout an inning. I could see myself being in on him because the innings are up there, but, um, yeah, it's it's going to be one to follow this offseason. I could, I could also see myself changing my mind. Um, Freddie Peralta is my next one. Andrew and I have already touched on him some, but he was another big jump up in the second half. Uh, first half, 92 innings, 4.7 ERA, 107 strikeouts, 38 walks. And in the second half, 73 fantastic innings, a 2.81 ERA. And that, that must have gone up a little bit in the last week or two because I think I remember it was in the low twos when Andrew and I talked about his second half ERA recently with 103 strikeouts, 16 walks. So I wasn't I wouldn't have even brought him up for Andrew because he and I had already talked about him. But since you're here instead, I'm going to ask you, do you think this second half's a hot streak or is he moving up to being an ace now? His ADP was 147 last year. Um, hard to argue against the fact that it's a hot streak, given how good he's been. But if you look at the totality of what Freddie Peralta has been since the 2020 season, it's, you know, 417 innings pitched with 11.6 K per nine, 3.2 walks per nine and a 3.5 ERA, you know, his batting average against is one of his best attributes over that time frame. He is allowing a 190 batting average with a 105 whip and his K rate is just, ridiculous sitting at 32%. So he's an amazing pitcher, but he has some durability concerns. So he's a nice SP two for me, but to draft him as my number one uh, would be too risky for me. Completely agree. That was what, what I was going to say was he's had a lot of shoulder issues and that does make me, I'm not going to draft him as an ace for that reason. I think I'll just, you know, especially in these deep leagues where pitching is just so hard to come by. I think I'd rather take shots on somebody else. Like Freddie Peralta or Grayson Rodriguez, who would you rather have next year? Uh, I'll take Peralta for me. Okay. Oh, man. I, and you know, Grayson had his, some stuff with him too. I think I would go Peralta. Um, but I also don't think they're too far off for me. You, you kind of didn't, you didn't even hesitate there. Do you think there's a pretty good gap there? Well, we've just seen Peralta just be more productive, and I'm going to take that over the guy that we hope can become more productive because you even alluded to it where Grayson Rodriguez is taking this huge step forward, and he's still not even a full strikeout per inning. And mm-hmm. and meanwhile, Peralta's at 11.6 K per nine over his career. I mean, yeah. that's kind of like a reliever-type number. That's fair. That's very fair. 
Okay, so those are the two good ones. Now we're on to the bad ones. I got three bad ones. Uh, the first one is Mitch Keller, who looked like he was breaking out into becoming an ace in the first half of this year. 117 innings pitched. He was 9-4 and four with a 3-3-1 ERA. 129 strikeouts in those 117 innings with a 34 walks. And in the second half, it has, it's just gone back to what we had seen before this year. 77 innings, 4-5 and five record. Four wins, five losses with a 5.59 ERA. 81 strikeouts, still striking out plenty, 21 walks. It's just been ugly. Um, so we got him. I'm just going to run down all three of these real quick, and then we'll kind of touch on them wherever you want to wherever you want to go with this. Second one's Hunter Brown. First half, 17 games started, 94 innings. Six and six with a 4-1 ERA with 111 strikeouts, 33 walks. And in the second half, uh, 12 games started, 60 innings. He's been he's five and seven with a 6.68 ERA, 67 strikeouts, 21 walks. Um, you know his xFIP is two four point two seven in the second half. I you know one thing I realized is I really wish we could actually look at some ex- expected ERAs from Baseball Savant for like splits, like first half, second half, and I could not find them anywhere. I don't know. If, do you do you by any chance have any access to that anywhere that I am not seeing? Um, not that I know of. I'm not a, the biggest X stats person, but I, I just haven't looked for it to be honest. Okay. And then the last one is Lucas Giolito. Um, first half rebounding really well from a bad year last year. 19 games. He was six and five with a three four five ERA with 117 strikeouts in 112 innings. And in the second half, it was more like last year, uh, playing on three different teams during the stretch. Thirteen games started, two and two and nine with a six point nine nine ERA. Um, in Gilito's defense, he did get moved around during the second half, but he had clunkers in every single stop of those three stops. And um, but maybe that's part of it. So, anyways, these three guys. First off, I want to ask, just like, how would you rank these three next year? And, and then um, what kind of just give your thoughts on whatever it is you want to add. Um, yeah. So my favorite player out of these guys is Mitch Keller. Um, even though he's been very up and down and I have him in the uh, Roto Masters draft and hold. So I know from experience, he's definitely been up and down, but in totality, it's basically a 10 K per nine, 2.5 walks per nine with a 4.2 ERA. And every single one of his ERA indicators is lower than his actual ERA, which doesn't guarantee anything, but it's, I like to see that, you know, mm-hmm. he's number 10 in the entire major leagues in strikeouts and his durability is not a question. And he has a lot of different pitches that he throws. He has a 26% usage fastball, uh, 24% cutter, 23% sinker, 16% on the sweeper and 8% curveball. Um, and I really like the fact that his fastball uh, only allows a, a 351 slug. So basically, his number one used pitch just gets a lot of softer contact, and it's reliable. I see a lot of pitchers that have very bad fastball, and I kind of want to run away from that unless it's a later round guy where most of those players have w- huge issues. Okay. Um, so you got him number one. Who would you have number two on that group? Uh, number two is Hunter Brown, and I certainly think Hunter Brown potentially could have much more upside than Keller, but he just has more issues at this point. Uh, Hunter Brown's fastball is allowing uh, 
a 518 slugging percentage. So that's basically 170 points or so different from Mitch Keller. Uh, So that's a huge consideration for me, considering the fact it's both of these guys as number one pitch thrown. Um, And he actually does land the fastball for strike, 67% strike rate, 33% ball rate on the fastball. But for his two primary off-speed pitches, his slider and his curveball, he has a 40% ball rate on those pitches. So basically, he cannot throw them for strikes on a super consistent basis. Uh, And that's certainly something that can be fixed, but um, it leads to him being more predictable, having to throw that fastball in the zone, and that's why it's getting teed up so much, in my opinion. Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah. I, he's definitely been one that, as you know, I had him in the first half of this year in the Rotomasters dynasty, and I and I definitely noticed the walks. Like he definitely was struggled to keep away from the walks with him. Like even when he had thirty three and ninety four, I mean those would it just seemed like they was they would come in chunks, and it's definitely gotten worse in the second half. So yeah, <clears throat> okay, and then so you got Giolito third there. How what are your thoughts on Giolito? Yeah, you mentioned that Giolito was moved, and I'm, and I'm sure that's definitely a huge issue for a, a cerebral pitcher like Giolito who who really thinks the game well and and as far as that goes. But he's lost velocity pretty consistently over mm-hmm. the past few years, and that's a that's a concern for me. His fastball allows a 540 slug, um, and whenever he was in Chicago, he threw the fastball 45% of the time. He moved to a pitching-savvy team in Cleveland, and they dropped it down to 34%, which is – really low for a starter. Um, so they clearly know that that's a huge problem for him. So maybe he is able to kind of develop a cutter or something and keeps guys off balance, but he's looking more and more like a back end pitcher. That's going to be prone to huge blowups. And um, I don't know. I'm kind of soured on him quite a bit. Yeah. I owned him a couple years ago and I remember whenever, like 2020, his breakout 2020, his fastball velocity was at 94 miles an hour. And before that, the previous year, I'm trying to find, or maybe the 2019 was the breakout. And whenever he had the the year where he was one of the worst pitchers in the league, yeah, it was 92.4. And he was really struggling to get that velocity up there. And, uh, you know, ever since, like, if it, he's got a, he, the velocity is so important for that guy. Because if it's if it's sitting there like last year is ninety two six, it's up it's up a little bit this year to ninety three, but it's just a fight for him to keep that velocity up there. And if it's not there, he just gets teed off on. So, and I worry about that too with him. So, who do you have? Who like um? I think do you have a couple names that swung in the second half? Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of interesting pitchers that had a huge second half. Uh, let me pull my leaderboard back up here. Um, so a guy here that in the second half, uh, as far as minimum pitch 50 innings, is number 19 in the majors as far as strikeouts minus walks uh, with a 28% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate is Kenta Maeda. Uh, so that was pretty impressive, and he's a guy that's carrying some fantasy teams. Yeah, okay. I haven't really paid much attention to him, so I'm pulling up his page right now to look at see if I can pull up his second half. Huh. This is always compelling stuff. Yeah, he has had a much better second half than the first half, looking at it. Yeah, yes. That's a name for me to write down and look into. Um, so he he's a guy that, you know, pitching depth, decent little player to have. But one guy that I've been uh, more interested in is um, Brandon Fott. He's had a huge second half compared to his first half. 
where he's had a 19% K minus walk, 24% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate. And he's been kind of a, you know, full strikeout per inning guy with two walks per nine, but is that a four ERA? Cause he does have a little bit of a home run problem. Cause he's another bad fastball guy. like, like most of these pitchers, but um, I think against right-handed batters, he's going to be pretty devastating with his breaking ball. And if he can figure out some sort of method against uh, left-handed batters, I I think he could vault into that SP three, SP four range. Thoughts an interesting one that we've talked about a lot. And what I've told Andrew that I really think he could use is a cutter. I just think that that guy, because his fastball gets teed off on so much and yes. he's got really good secondary pitches. That guy needs to get himself a cutter. Like, if there was one suggestion, I think like I could make for a pitcher this offseason, I think it would be Brandon Fought. Go learn how to throw a cutter. Because if you could do that, you could be an ace. I remember, you know, um, he didn't have the as bad of a fastball, but I kind and I'm not the best pitching expert, but I remember um, Corbin Burns coming up. And I think he just threw a four seamer when he just came up, and it wasn't until he found that cutter that that's whenever he turned into an elite pitcher. And I'm not saying Fott can turn into Corbin Burns, but I think he could be a much better pitcher if he just got himself a cutter. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty good call there. So, yeah, he's going to be a guy where it'll be interesting to to follow Fott this winter. We live in a information age where I do firmly believe there are still some sleepers because there's guys that go cheaper than they should. So saying there's no sleepers just isn't true. You know, when guys like C.J. Abrams are, are amazing and go go in the late rounds. So, But Fott will be talked about a lot. It'll just be interesting to see where people are willing to draft him. If I read at the beginning of training camp, at the beginning of, like, in January, as he's reporting to camp, if I hear that anything about I've, I'm working on a cutter, I will I guarantee you I will be jumping him higher than other people. <laughs> I will be all over him if that's the case. So. Yeah, he's definitely worth a, worth a shot. So, yeah, that's a good one. Was that the last one? Yeah, that's all I had. I just had two pitchers that caught my eye in the second half. Okay, well, good stuff. Lucas, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about all that because I thought, you know, that's I think we a lot of interesting names. I think anybody listening who's listening right now probably heard some players mention that maybe they didn't realize had been as good or bad as they've been. So it's a good conversation. Andrew and I have done this once before, and I just I really like this idea of something to do at the end of the year. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you can almost do it every two months. So yeah. it's it's a good exercise. One of the things I we did a couple weeks ago that I think is going to be an exercise going forward, I, at, yeah, it was at the beginning of September, was um, top players from the previous month that kind of stood out that maybe, like, not going to pick Ronald Acuna. They're like, Ronald Acuna was the best player in August. It's like, yeah, he's the best player every month. But guys who are having big production or big swings in production that, and just kind of, is this real or is it not? And talk about, it. and I think that's going to be one of our running things next year. Absolutely. Cause if, if you're not up on that kind of thing, you'll end up like me and starting Matt Chapman for two, three months when you, you probably <laughs> should have looked for something else. So, yeah, <laughs> I think we're all guilty of that at times. You've yes. my guy um, this year. I think of when I think of that, thankfully he what he turned bad sooner than matt chapman did was um brent rooker i had oh rooker yeah yeah, i had i picked him up in that april when he had that amazing april and you know just kept plugging him in there as we were getting into may and that just stopped and i'm like i got out earlier because he didn't he doesn't have the name value matt chapman does 
but that's a name that comes to my mind when I think of early production kind of masking how bad you've been lately. That's true. Those guys are silent killers. Yep. So before we get out of here, I thought it'd be fun to talk about, you know, we've, we've talked the fantasy and Lucas, I play softball three nights a week. I spend my, a lot like I, I focus on this podcast, trying to get stuff ready and running leagues to where I don't pay as close of attention as I should to what's going on in the actual game and the non-fantasy part. And here we are a couple days from the end of the season. And you asked me earlier today or yesterday, you were like, hey, are you following and seeing these playoff races? And I was like, that's how we should finish this show. We need to talk about this. So, Lucas, you're the one that's been following this closer to me. I've paid, I've read into it a little bit this today ever since you brought it up. But why don't you just tell me about this last week and these wild card races and what's going on and kind of your thoughts. Yeah, so so kind of piggybacking a little bit on your, your and Andrew's uh, really nice trade deadline episode um you know seattle they they traded away their their closer um and that was kind of signaling to most people okay well we're not really in it but the thing was is they had andres munoz matt brash and gabe spear in their bullpen so they were able to kind of solve that and julio rodriguez was one of the hottest hitters in the second half so they kind of vaulted up into contention with the astros and the texas rangers and giving a decent little scare to the Toronto Blue Jays. So that AL wildcard is going to be a fascinating story to watch this weekend. Um, So did you have any reaction to that? The the thing that shocked me when I looked tonight was like, oh my gosh, the Houston Astros might not make the playoffs. (laughs) That just floored me. And as I looked, I'm like, wow, there's a chance that this weekend could end. And they're two just fascinating late night games going on tonight that are going on this weekend that I just think are fascinating series. But if you like, I will get to that in a second because one of them involves a national league team. So what about, what about the national league? Yeah. Um, and I started off with the AL because I find that to be a lot more kind of thrilling, but the national league is, is not uh, bereft of action too, where the, the Arizona diamondbacks are in a position where if, if they can, you know, they're in a driver's seat right now, as long as they can win two, three games this weekend. The Marlins are also potentially in the driver's seat if they can win out and they won an absolute thriller on Friday night in the in the late part of the game. In the eighth inning, they came back, so that was pretty wild. And, and they the won Cubs tonight, the, if you didn't know. Yes, yes. And the Cubs are, are a team that's slipped and faded a lot. And um, even though they have a huge run differential, people might cite that as far as a big advantage for them, but they just have not been timely and kind of fallen off lately. So it's been rough for the Cubs. They're right now one game back of the Miami Marlins They're As we're recording this, it's the 10th inning and they're tied three to three. So it's a must win game for them. They, they got to win this one. Yeah. And facing Atlanta this week, getting swept, um, you know, going four wins and 10 losses over the last 14 games to close out the year. That's kind of, you know, stick in the Cubs fans uh, side, but you know, they had a better year than most anyone expected. And, and if they can somehow uh, string together some wins this weekend and Marlins lose a game or two, you never know. I can hear Andrew. Like he's not here. He's not anywhere close to me right now, but I can hear him <laughs> ranting. Yes. They, this is why they should have traded Marcus Stroman, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, those, those two playoff series this weekend that are all teams playing to get into the playoffs. The Arizona Diamondbacks are at home against the Houston Astros, and then you got the Rangers and Mariners. Those are just like, that is fun. That yeah. that, that is going to be two fun series that are both going to be going on probably. I haven't looked, but I'm assuming both of those teams will be playing at the same time most games this weekend to where, yeah, that's... Uh, the, you know, the Astros are going to be playing and they're going to be scoreboard watching as are the Rangers and Mariners over there. That's that's a lot of fun. That's 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 what we want that, you know, Rob Manfred's caught a lot of grief for s- some of the decisions he's made. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's made some he's he made the moves this year with the shift and the steal. And at first I was completely against the idea of it. But you know what? it's made the game more interesting and fun for me. Like, do you like most of those new rules that have come and implemented this year, along with the ghost runner on second? Where are you at on that? Uh, All the rules I think have been pretty good. Honestly, I love the bigger bases, the pace of play. I think there's no one that doesn't like it for the most part. Mm -hmm. The one thing I have heard about the pace of play is that when you're actually attending a game and you know, you want to go up, get snacks or what have you, it can be a little tricky, but that's a minor complaint when in reality I watch almost all the games at home. So, you know, yeah, it's really, it's really been a great set of rule changes and even kind of going uh, a little bit off topic, like just looking at the rookies and the Fabapalooza and the call-ups and are we going to draft rookies differently and, and draft and hold leagues? I mean, the thought for a long time was to just take mostly veterans and sprinkle a rookie in here or there, but a lot of guys had good profit with rookies this year. So it's changed the game with these rules. So yeah, Manfred, as much grief as he's gotten, I think he's made the game better than it was than before he came in. And the, I mean, give him credit for that because yeah, man, he caught a lot of grief for the things he was looking to do and change early on. So yeah. yeah, and the other the reason I bring that up, you know, this is what we want. We don't, you know, ten years ago, a lot of these weekends there was maybe one, there was maybe one playoff spot that wasn't decided. Everything always felt like it was decided, or very frequently was. And we had that. I think it was the 2011 season when the Cardinals barely slipped in on the last day, and I think the Red Sox blew, uh, like fell out on the last day, and the Rays got in or something like that. And Manfred saw the excitement that came that night, and he's changed the playoffs with these wild cards. And I just, it's been great. And this is, this is fantastic. I'm going to be paying, like, when we finish recording, I'm going to get this podcast up, and I'm going to start watching some baseball tonight because I'm really curious to see how this finishes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree. He's definitely made some positive changes for the rule changes and very exciting stuff. Yeah. Okay, Lucas, uh, thank you so much. Do you have anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, yeah, just feel free to check out dcdynasty.co. I've got it on my Twitter, which is at lucasberry 33 um, So, yeah, I'll be putting some articles out there uh, in the coming days, kind of a, a wrap-up of my Dynasty Leagues, a wrap-up of my regular leagues. Um, I'll update a lesson-learned article that I, I put out a few years ago, so if you want to kind of see any of the uh, lessons I've taken away, feel free to check that out over at my DC dynasty website. There you go. I'm definitely going to start checking it out. I have not done a good enough job doing it as we're getting into the off season, starting to look into next year. I'm going to make an effort to start looking at that some more. Thank you, man. I really, I'm glad I got you on, man. I, um, 
you know, Andrew and I, we've been getting this thing going and, it, you know, it was great to hear a different perspective and get you on here too. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get you on some more this off season. I want to talk the auction with you for sure. I want to talk about just when we have the auction draft, like I'm going to be having, have you like, I put you on the spot. I think you said you were going to play in the auction. Like I'm setting up that auction draft and hold. Are you getting in that thing? Uh, as long as there's a spot for me, I would love to. There's definitely going to be a spot for you. So yeah, we're going to, we'll, I don't even know if I've talked about that on here and we'll talk about that more whenever we get there. But when we have that draft, I definitely want to get you on, but I also want to hear about your team, just how, like what you did with that. And we might try to, I might try to see if we can get you back on to talk about that soon. Oh, that would be awesome. Uh, auction is certainly the most pure form of fantasy sports and it's the best in my mind. Yes. It's the hardest to teach. <laughs> Because this, you know, no auctions the same, but it's so much. They're the best. They are the best. And you're the Absolutely. best. Lucas. I mean, you were talking about these great people that you've worked with. And one thing I'll say is you are definitely the, like I've now known you for seven or eight years and I've yet to hear anybody ever say a bad word about you. So you go right there with all these people that you talk about that are good people, Lucas. You're a good person. And I'm just glad to have gotten to spend some time talking with you tonight. Likewise, man. Appreciate it. Okay, and thank you all for listening. Andrew and I will be back. Um, we are probably I don't I don't know if we'll start it next week. We have talked about doing uh like division breakdowns, just talking about division the teams in each division as we get into the offseason, maybe starting a series on that. I don't know if we'll start it next week, but we're gonna have that going soon. And that's all I got. Thank you for listening and take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 